0: that. Uh, Good morning, everybody. If you guys have your Bibles, would you turn with me to um, Exodus 9? And we'll be going through um, Exodus 9 and 10 today, so um, bear with me as we uh, do a lot of reading. But um, it is so that we understand the narrative that is happening as it unfolds in the book of Exodus. And um, before we start again, um, let's just pray in this time that uh, we bring this time up to the Lord. Uh, Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, again, we would I'd like to thank you for this opportunity to be able to congregate in this nation in this way, that we are able to read your word in a language that we can understand. And all the more in these moments, I pray that the Holy Spirit be the one to give us clarity and that the Holy Spirit is the one to give us understanding of the things that we will be reading. Because, Father, without you, we are unable to walk this Christian life. Without you, we are unable to stand before your throne, and it is only through the life of Jesus Christ, whom has saved us, is why we can stand here and talk about these things with the convictions that we have. And so may you be the one to work in and through your people, that you be the one to soften hearts and leave minds changed today. For Father, it is not my work, it is not my words that change the hearts of people, it is only you. And so in these moments, may you be the one to plant the seed in their own hearts. And again, as we come before your scripture, may we treat it with the utmost respect and the authority that it deserves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so if you guys have been with us, uh, we have been going through uh, the book of Exodus, and um, for the title of the message today, it has been titled, God Alone is Sovereign. Oh, I skipped a <laughs> Skip the slide. Um, God Alone is Sovereign, and we'll be going through Exodus 9 through 10. If you guys have been with us, you'll know that Exodus has encompassed um, Basically, from the life of Joseph, and then going down the lines that now we are in a position when there is a new Pharaoh who did not know who Joseph was. And as the people stand, there was a moment in time in which um, Pharaoh was killing all of the newborn young males. And so this uh, Israelite woman decided that she would send a son, send her son down the river. And it, it just so happens that this young boy ends up before the princess at the time, or rather the, the, the daughter of Pharaoh. And through that, through those events, this young man would be raised and trained in the facilities of the Egyptians, receiving their education. And this young boy who grows up, whose name is Moses, at one point in time, he sees an Egyptian going against an Israelite, and he kills this man. And when he goes back before this Israelite again, that. This person says that he saw what he had done and asks, if are you now going to kill me? And so Moses leaves and for 40 years he is, goes in a Midianite exile in which ultimately he finds a wife but also where he sees God in the form of the burning bush. And through these 80 years he is trained up ultimately to be the leader of Israel. And as we go now into this narrative, uh, we've been going over the plagues, the first one, the the now being turned to blood, the second one, the frogs, the third, the gnats, and the fourth, the flies. And we need to understand this clearly before we move on any further, that when we talk about the plagues in Egypt, trust me, these aren't just small plagues as though it, it was it's just another kind of uh, a bunch of flies going into your house and a random frog that you see on the street. Rather, the, the extent of these plagues, for example, the first plague, the Nile to the blood, the whole Nile River was not just colored red. It was blood, actual blood, and so were the containers of water that were present during that time. Uh, in matter of factly, it was all blood that they needed to dig around the side of the Nile in order to even drink water. When we come to the second plague of, of the frogs, um, it has been interpreted historically in this way that it's so many frogs existed, so many frogs were taken out of the Nile that it disrupted every part of their life. To an extent, it stopped the civilization for the, however many days it was present, meaning that If people were preparing food, there would be a frog. If people were to walk down the street, there would be frogs. And if they were to go about their daily routines everywhere, there would be a frog. And the one thing that happened in the first plague, and so in the second, was that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And in both times, the magicians of Pharaoh copied Moses and Aaron by making more frogs, by making more blood. You'd think if they were trying to help the Egyptians, that they would reverse what has happened, and yet what they did was make the problem even worse, and yet that was sufficient for Pharaoh to harden his own heart, something that we'll be going over more later. But, But understand this, that once the symbol of prosperity and safety and abundance, the Nile River has now become hostile towards the Egyptians. The gods they believed in, the gods they placed in the Nile, in their frogs, the other things that they worshiped have now turned against them. For there is only one God and that is Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. And in the third plague, we see that without warning to, to Pharaoh, Aaron struck the ground and produced gnats. Do you understand that in this story, creation occurs from the dust these gnats were created In other translations, lice. But the magicians could not imitate creation from dust, for it is only God that creates. We can see the hand of God upon these plagues because these magicians who could only resolve to copycat kinds of methodologies are now confronted with a situation in which they cannot produce these creatures from the dust, for it is only God who is creator. It is only God who makes and Pharaoh's heart all the same was hardened before the very things that are happening in front of him and we go to the fourth plague which is the first plague where a distinction is made between Egypt and Israel see flies were all over Egypt at this point because the plague was of flies and yet The distinction was in in the land of Goshen where the Israelites remained, there were no flies there. Imagine this. Imagine the border between Egypt and Goshen where all of these flies seemingly only stay in one side of the land. How could that, that not be a work of God for something such as that, something supernatural to occur? And yet only we can attribute these plagues to God and God alone. And yet when... Again, Moses comes before Pharaoh and Pharaoh tells him to remove these flies, or rather, these gnats. When God removed them, what did Pharaoh do? He hardened his heart once more. See, we see this pattern of this continuous rejection by Pharaoh. And why? If you guys would turn with me just a couple of pages back in Exodus 5 2, when Moses first confronts Pharaoh, he says this, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. This was Pharaoh's point of view. This was his mindset coming into these discourses with Moses. And so this brings us to the, the, the next set of plagues, which is 5 to 9. And by the time that we get to the 10th plague, we will see the extent of God's hand upon these people. And so um, we'll be going through these hopefully quickly for the sake of time, and yet um, just running through them real quickly. The fifth plague is the death of the livestock. The, The sixth are the boils, the seventh hail, the eighth locust, and then the ninth plague is darkness. And so we go to the first one of these new sets that we're going through, which is the death of the livestock. And before we go on any further, we need to understand this that these plagues happen in a cycle, in cycles of three. The first plague in each cycle, Moses and Aaron would go into the palace of Pharaoh and he would, oh no, rather in the river and announce it to Pharaoh there that there will be a plague upon them. The second one would be in the palace where Moses and Aaron would talk to Pharaoh and tell him that a plague is coming. And the third plague of the cycle, there would be no warning as we see in the plague of gnats. And so as we come to the death of the livestock, we are in the second plague of the second cycle but fifth overall. So would you guys read with me starting in Exodus 9 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die and the Lord set a time saying tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land and the next day the Lord did this thing all the livestock of the Egyptians died but one of the livestock of the people of Israel died and Pharaoh sent and behold not one of the livestock of Israel was dead But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. And so we come to this fifth plague, and so we ask this question what what could possibly be the significance of the livestock during this time? Well, in this age, understand that Egypt was not some weak nation, rather, they were powerful, they were wealthy. Remember, in the time of Joseph, that they were one of the only nations to survive the famine that attacked the land. And so in this time, Egypt was a great nation. It was a strong nation, and yet the significance of the livestock is this, that wealth often then was measured in the herds of an individual, the herds that a nation possessed. In, their, in a religious perspective, they worshipped the Addis bull, which was a sacred animal of one of their gods, and among their cattle. They even worshipped a deity who was represented by a cow named Hathor. See, wealth during that time was measured in their herds. And when we look at this plague and see that it is God who commands that these things, that this plague occur upon the Egyptians, we see that it is him alone that works. See the terminology in verse 2 when it says all kinds of livestock or the livestock in the field, um, it's not completely everything there because we see in later plagues that it falls, that the boils fall upon man and beast. And so we interpret this verse to mean that when it says in the field the livestock that were around in the pastures those were the ones that died but the ones in the stables and those housed elsewhere those remained and we see in verse 4 and in verse 6 that God continues the separation between Israel and Egypt the distinction that God displayed in the fourth plague will be seen for the remainder of the signs in which God will display his power and look in verse 7, Pharaoh sent, sent people to make sure that the Israelites' herds did not die. Do you see what is happening here? Pharaoh, seeing that the livestock in his kingdom were dying, sends people to check on the Israelites and sees that the herds are alive. Yet what does he do? He hardens his heart. When there is this distinction already made, he hardens his heart. When it is only the hand of God that can do these things. See, the hardness of heart is described as being obstinate, to be stubborn, to be unreceptive to God. Ephesians 2 describes us saying that we are dead in our sins and trespasses, and Pharaoh just the same. He is a sinful man who has done sinful things, and against Almighty God, he hardens his heart and does not let the people of Israel go. And that brings us to the sixth plague, which is the plague of the boils. And so we read, read with me in verse 8, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt, and become boils breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses threw it in the air, and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. This is the third plague of the second cycle, and we can see that it happens immediately. That Moses grabs this soot from the kiln, or rather a furnace, throws it in the air, and from then forth, the boils came upon the people. See, in, in, in these verses, we, the language that is used, um, it can be similar to what we know now as anthrax or smallpox. These, these boils that go upon the body and, and, and hurt you know, for for short, but, but I wanna specifically go into detail about something here. Look to verse 11. Where have the magicians gone? See, first they copied and they imitated. Then in the third plague, they conceded that it was only by the finger of God that these things can occur. Now they're unable to even show their faces before Moses and Aaron, magicians who resolved to doing copycat things, not even reversing the things that were already happening, but only added to the misery of the Egyptians. Do you see that these men stood no chance, not even a fraction of a chance before holy God? That they, they themselves didn't understand who it is that they were up against. but. You know, in this section, we see in the ending, in verse 12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. In previous passages, we see that it is Pharaoh that hardens his heart. And yet, here we see that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why does Pharaoh's heart harden? See, Pharaoh hardened his heart because he would not let the Israelites go. And God justly gave him up to his own lust to his own decisions, to what he wants to do. If you guys would turn to your Bibles in Romans 1 real quickly, we see in Romans 1.18 that God's wrath is displayed against the ungodly and the unrighteous who suppress the truth by their unrighteousness. You see that unrighteous people do not want to know the truth. Unrighteous people do not want to know who God is. Because Why? Because God is the very opposite of what sinful man is. We would not want to go before God because as sinful men, we hate God. And it is God's wrath displayed to those who are against him. And in verse 20 of Romans 1, it says human hearts are darkened so that we don't honor God. Because God does not force people to choose him. Let that be clear. They would rather choose the world. And we cannot choose God by ourselves. For in Ephesians 2, it says that faith is a gift from God. See, he gives them up to their lusts and to them in verse 28, a debased mind. That is the position of all people who are in sin. That is our position, that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And we move on to Exodus 9, to this seventh plague, which is the hail, the first plague of the third cycle, And so we read, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. A quick note about verse 18. That language, when it is written, Behold about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall such as has never such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was found in until now that is the language used to describe in Egyptian time that there would be a new pharaoh that there would be a new dynasty that a new age would come and it describes this hail that never again in Egypt will they ever experience something to this degree. And so we continue reading verse 19. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses, but whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in the in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the lord rained hail upon the land of egypt there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail very heavy hail such as had never been in all the land of egypt since it became a nation again we read in that verse that never again in these moments will there be a a time in which an event and a plague like this will occur. And we continue reading in verse 25, the hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. And then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Before we finish off this section, let me just make note. That as we're going through this, in the, in, the, in the 14th verse, God describes it as my plagues, meaning these, these are his strokes and blows against the nation of Egypt. We see in verse 14 that the extent of the power of God has been restrained. The Egyptians are alive because God has not destroyed them yet. See, what these people don't seem to understand, what we don't seem to understand, is that God is just and holy God can kill those who go against him. In the Garden of Eden, God told them to not eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did they do? They ate of the fruit. In Romans 6, it says that for the wages of sin, singular, is death. And so if you sin, you die. They disobeyed. What should have happened? They should have died. Not just a spiritual death. Adam and Eve should have died a full death. And yet from the very beginning of time, God was already showing his mercy upon people. And we see in this plague, God says you would be dead if not for me withholding my power. And in this very same plague, he tells them that those who fear the Lord, they listened and obeyed and took their livestock away their servants away into their homes so that they would not be killed. Did God need to tell them that a plague was coming and how to prevent it? No, and yet he did. And so we see that God is still merciful. The rest of this passage will just go about Pharaoh again ultimately hardening his heart. And the, the language again that never before will they see a plague such as this see verse 19 God sends a warning of what he'll do and in verse 20 we see that some listen you think after all of the many plagues before all of them would listen but no some of them only some of them listen and we see that the continued favor of God towards his children is displayed see God's justice threatened ruin But his mercy showed a way of escape. In the midst of sinful people, God is still merciful. When he doesn't need to be, for God to be just would be to kill sinful man. Yet in these moments, we still live and breathe. See, further distinction is made between those who believe and those who don't. In this time, it's not just the Israelites whom are saved, but rather those who listened to God in the the Egyptian people who housed their livestock and their servants. There is an importance here of heeding the word of God whom is creator. And in verses 31 to 32, the hail devastated man, beast, and crops above the ground. Do you see that it makes careful note to say that only the crops above the ground were destroyed? And funnily enough, you know, Pharaoh again hardens his heart. Maybe he was thinking that, you know, the crops underground are still there. So maybe we still have an economy left. Maybe we can still have money and we can still have wealth in the things that have not been destroyed. And so Pharaoh and his servants hardened their hearts. And he would be in for a rude awakening once the next plague comes. And so we come to the eighth plague, which is the second plague of the third cycle, starting in chapter 10. Read with me. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow, I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. Before we move on any further, the verse 1 here says, God, for I have hardened his heart, and the heart of his servants again we see that God is the one to harden the heart of Pharaoh and the heart of his servants that God strengthened their resolve in denying the people of God and himself for why ultimately now listen carefully ultimately that God would be glorified that God would be glorified In verse 2, it talks about how these signs are to be remembered. And this language, again, is described to use the signs and wonders that indicated who Jesus Christ was. And yet, in this situation, if you guys would turn with me real quickly to to Exodus 3, it, it describes it in this way, Exodus 3, verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. Do you see that in the same way that God shows himself to these Egyptians through these wonders, Jesus Christ in John also reveals himself as the son of God through these signs and wonders. That the Godhead reveals himself through these incalculable feats that we wouldn't be able to understand ourselves. And in verse 7, there there is this conversation between um, Pharaoh and his servants. The the status of Egypt at the time was already in in tatters, and the people's spirits were waning. You'd think that after all of these other plagues, that there would be a time in which Pharaoh would say, Okay, enough is enough. Just go. And yet, his heart remained hardened hardened, and hardened, and hardened, and hardened. Before the face of all of these things that are occurring before him, he does not wane. And if you would look in verse 9 through 11, that I'm just going to skip ahead here. But in, in verse 9 through 11, if you guys would look in your Bibles, that this conversation between Moses and Pharaoh. Pharaoh tries to be sneaky and tells him, go, take your men take your men with you, go and worship, as if to say that he will hold the women and the children hostage, because if the men go by themselves, then they would need to come back. And yet God will be worshiped the way that he has said that he will be worshiped. In this plague, Pharaoh was quick to repent, but he remained stubborn in his resolve. He was quick to repent and his repentance is come into question because he says this time this time I have been sinful only this time not all of the other times that I have disobeyed the command of God not all of the other times where I have gone against the God of Israel only this time have I been sinful and the connection we'll see later on that you know we need to understand that Exodus it is the illustration of God rescuing his people from slavery. And in the very same way in the New Testament, it is Christ who frees us from our slavery to sin. And so as we think about these things, as we move on to the next plague, in that, that is the plague that is darkness in Exodus 10. And so read with me. In Exodus 10, Verse 21, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, and nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day you see my face you shall die. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. The third plague of the third cycle where no warning occurs, the darkness just comes down and covers the Egyptians and yet there is light on the side of the Israelites. Read with me in Exodus four, verse 20 to 22, that these are the reasons that God is to be worshiped in the way that he is to be worshiped Exodus 4:20 20 to 22 so Moses took his wife and his sons and had that's Exodus 4:20 20 to 22 Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. In Exodus 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God and in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel, Is my firstborn son. From the very beginning, God had already said that he would harden the heart of Pharaoh. And in the very beginning, God also mentioned that the Israelites would not leave poor, they would leave wealthy, they would leave with the riches of the Egyptians. And so, for Pharaoh to say that they could not leave without their herds and their livestock, what would they sacrifice with? And so again, Moses denounces the negotiations of Pharaoh for why God will be worshipped in the way that he has stated. In addition, if Moses and the people were to go, it'd be in partial obedience to God. And partial obedience to God is no obedience at all. You cannot partly obey God and think that that is not in sin. Because if we only go halfway in the obedience to God, then that in itself... Is not full commitment to the one who has made us. And in verse 27, again, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. See, as we near the conclusion of the plagues, we see that God is sovereignly working in all things in order to display his glory. God does not do things without a reason, and yet at the same time, he does things not for our glory. It is for his glory and his glory alone. For why? Because he is the only being deserving of all glory, honor, and praise. See that the next time Moses and Pharaoh meet face to face, it'll be when Pharaoh commands them to leave Egypt. Because God will have slain all of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And those who have not placed the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. When men drive God's word from them, he justly gives them up to their own delusions. See, people would much rather have the things of this world than God. People out there are not looking for God. They're trying to see everything else, trying to take everything else, try to let that fill the hole in their hearts and yet as it says natural man does not understand the things of God. It is only God who calls those whom he has saved. And firstly the word of the Lord needs to be in our minds before it can be in our hearts. We need to know what the gospel of Christ is for us to believe in it. And yet as we go through these plagues, these severe, disastrous plagues, this is a final point that I'll expand is that church, listen, God seated on his throne. He has never left his throne. In, in, In these passages, we see Three cycles of three plagues and the final one ultimately establishing the Passover feast. And here we see the wickedness and the depravity of the human heart. Because why? Plague one, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Plague two, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. All of these plagues, Pharaoh sees them before his eyes, sees these wonders happening. Nobody else could possibly make these things come to be. And yet what does Pharaoh do? He hardens his heart. People say that if God would just do something to show himself to them, then they would believe. Do you see that Pharaoh sees all of this happening? And he hardens his heart. If it just took a miracle to make people believe, then those people that were before Jesus, those Pharisees that saw him heal, those Pharisees that saw him split the bread and the fish, they would have believed. And yet they didn't. Why? Because sinful man is wretched and depraved and is so far from God that Israel's deliverance from Egypt will be solely through the work of of holy, holy, holy God, and that the act of salvation for them is only in God, just as it is for us now. Salvation does not come from our skill. Because remember, Moses was complaining in Exodus 4. He didn't even want this job. He didn't want to be the leader. He had so many things to tell God. How he was unqualified. How he can't do this. How there are better speakers out there than him. And yet God had chosen him to lead the people out of Egypt. Because why? It was not him who would free them. It was God. God would free them. The exodus of Israel from Egypt is an illustration of the exodus of Christ's people from sin. Galatians 5 one says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Beloved, do you know that the promise in Christ is that we have been freed from sin What God starts, he does not fail to complete. The work he began in the work of a believer, he does not forsake. Jesus says that he holds his sheep firmly in his hand, that he is the good shepherd. So why do we wane in our faith? Believer, God is the only God who lives and reigns in it, and it is him that we can be fully confident in. For salvation is found in the name of Christ alone, and his name, his person and work, his death on the cross, his resurrection is sufficient for us. And we need to believe that. See, the final plague would be the death of the firstborn, and Pharaoh will drive the Israelites out of Egypt. Just as God had told Moses, Pharaoh will not just let them leave. He won't just tell them, all right, go ahead. He drove them. Rather, he will drive them out because he does not want them there, just as God had said from the very outset. Ultimately, why is this happening? Why these plagues? Why in Egypt? Why the people of God? Why Moses? in light of the entire Bible, to save his people, to make them into a nation, to raise up leaders such as King David, to display his power in the conquering of the nations around them. But more than anything else, this story from this baby who was cast down a river, who was exiled, who now goes before the Pharaoh of Egypt and consults with him all of this, that the story of redemption would be advanced and progress. And as the Christmas season comes ultimately to the day in which a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, the savior of the world who is Jesus Christ. See, these stories that we read, these narratives that we read, these were real things, real events, real people who in God's working, progressed it in such a way that it would ultimately lead to the birth of our Redeemer, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the begotten Son of Jesus. And as I close, let me bring us back, if you would turn with me, to Exodus Exodus 9, verse 16. This very same verse is echoed in Romans uh, 9, verse 17. It says, but for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Pharaoh was raised up to serve God's purpose. Pharaoh, it was not Pharaoh's decisions and, and how charismatic he was that ultimately led him to his position. No, God was the one to raise him up. For his purpose ultimately to display his glory we need to understand that the plagues here are happening because God is the one who caused them it is by his hand it is by his power that these things occur and in light of the events of this week such as the election may I urge you that more than anything else we should be concerned with being the church of God In this world, God raises up and institutes those who are in power. As it says in Romans 13, but don't be concerned with things that do not involve the kingdom of God, for we can be so detached. If truly you want to make an impact in this world, let's obey the great commission that our Savior has given us. Let's be a holy church. Let's be concerned with our holiness, the holiness of God's people, the preaching of the gospel that saves. Because if we as a church do not take the word of God seriously, we as a church do not take the holiness of God seriously, why then would the world have any concern about that? And yet first and foremost, why we should be so Passionate about the word of God is because it is the gospel that saves see just God could have killed us the moment we've sinned the very breath that we breathe comes from him and him alone Yet when he can just kill sinful man who can do nothing for themselves to save themselves, he says, I will give my begotten son, my only son, send him into the world that he may save a people unworthy and undeserving, and yet I will pour out my love on them. That is why we must be concerned first and foremost Apart from who is president, apart from whatever else we are going through in this world, listen. Be confident in this God has not lost anything. He has not lost power, He has not lost dominion. He's sovereign through and through. There is not a single thing that happens in this world in which God is not ordained. He was on his throne on November 7. He was on his throne on November 8. He was on his throne November 9th. He was on his throne November tenth. And even on this day, he is on his throne, and he will continue to be on his throne. God raised up Pharaoh that he may show his glory in full. And we, as a church, as we await the day that our Savior comes again, let us act as the church and let us proclaim the only gospel and the only name that is Jesus Christ by which we can be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and again in these moments that though our hearts may be confused and our minds may wonder, Father, restore us the joy of our salvation. Make our paths straight that we may follow you, that we may yearn for you, that we may desire to be in a relationship with you. And for those who are here this morning, who may be weary, who do not know whether or not they have a relationship with you, Father, I plead on behalf of those, would you be the one to, make a change in their hearts, that they would come before you, that they would beg and they would plead, that they would ask to have mercy on me, a sinner. For Father, that is who we are. And these Israelites who complained when Moses came with a promise of salvation, just as we have been who, when we've, Rejected your word and we've decided not to obey it. Father, would you in these times correct and discipline your people? That we would desire to be a church that is holy, for you are holy. Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, Father, we are so blinded by our love at times for this world. And yet we ask that you would do a work in our hearts, that we would love the things that you love and hate the things that you hate. Let us be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that saves. And Father, may I, may we ask in these moments that, that our amens and our affirmatives to these words that you have allowed us to hear may we act on them as your church let not let not these phrases go away empty but would you use your church though how wretched we may be father the beauty of the gospel is that we are so sinful and our sin runs so deep And yet the love of Christ goes even deeper than that. Father, humble us and allow us to continue to understand your word and who you are and your love for us. And truly thank you for the opportunity to come in the midst of family, in the family of God. And together look upon your word and live. A life that is worthy of the calling of our salvation. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
1: Bible says, "Pharaoh hardened his heart." Yes. The Bible also says that it was the Lord who hardened Pharaoh's heart. Yes. So, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? What's the answer? Yes. God works in ways that we cannot comprehend. That's why God alone is sovereign. He decides things and does things exclusively on his own behest. He is not answerable to anyone or anything. And who are we to dare question how he allows things to happen. And I praise God that our brother Bien uh, quite effectively draw this out from the plagues. Because if you've been with us since we've been studying Exodus, God has already said, I'm going to use these plagues to destroy the idols of the Egyptians so that the people may see his glory. God alone is sovereign. He does things whatever and however he wants to do them. And yes, God is holy. Yes, God is just. But God is also a God of grace. And he has commanded two institutions to be commemorated. One is Baptism. The other one is the Lord's Table or the Lord's Supper. We do that once a month, not too often that we make into a ritual, not too far in between that we may forget that God has mandated us to celebrate the Lord's Table. Now, what do we do when we celebrate the Lord's Table? We commemorate, we commemorate the death of Jesus Christ The Last Supper, when he, with his disciples, he broke bread, which was representative of his body, and they drank from the same cup, the cup of wine, which represents his blood. The Bible doesn't teach us that the elements, the biscuit that you're going to partake, or the cup of grape juice that you're going to partake, the Bible doesn't tell us that They literally become the body and blood of Jesus Christ. How can I prove that? When Jesus Christ shared this with his disciples, was he alive or was he dead? He was still alive. And he took bread and broke it and said what? Take it and this is my body. He was still alive. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, take and drink for this is my blood. In what? In the new covenant. So he was still alive. So what we're doing here is commemorating and celebrating what Jesus Christ has done. So who may partake? Anyone and everyone who has confessed and professed Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Good news, if you've already done that. If you haven't, there's even better news. You can do that right now. God is sovereign. He has appointed that there is no name under heaven by which a man shall be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why no one is hanging on this cross. Because when he died, he took all of our sin, he nailed it on the cross, and after three days he rose again and is seated back. In his rightful place in heaven. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty. But if you have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Your heart is full. Second requirement if you will. That you have no unconfessed sin. That you are not cherished. You are not clinging to any sin. That's why Paul when he told us. When he reminded us. Let a man, what? Examine. What do we do? We examine our neighbor. God says we must examine what? Ourselves. And if you do not feel that you are able to partake of the Lord's Supper, fine, that's between you and God. No one in this fellowship will judge you. Why? We don't examine our neighbor. We examine ourselves. So before we partake, I would like to encourage all of us. Number one, is the Lord Jesus Christ the sovereign master and Lord of my life? Second question, if He is really the Sovereign and Master and Lord of my life, is there any sin I am not willing to give up? Spend a few quiet moments now, brothers and sisters, as we prepare to partake of the juice and the bread which represents the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the night you were betrayed, you took bread, And after giving thanks, you broke it and said, Take and eat, for this is my body which is given up for you. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you for taking upon yourself all of our sins. And you took it to the cross, and you died in our place. Lord Jesus, we commemorate your sacrifice, your life. We thank you for giving it up. We thank you for giving up your body in our place. We also want to thank you that you gave your life freely. No one took it away, but you gave it of your own accord. In obedience to your command, in love for you, Lord, we partake of the bread which represents your body this morning. Remind us, Lord God, how you hate sin. And give us the same hatred, Lord God, that we might live holy lives that will reflect your glory. Let's partake In the same way, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he said, Take and drink for this is the cup of the new commandant in my blood which will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for shedding your unblemished love. Your blood that wipes away all of our sin. We remember we give thanks and we pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, that every time we are tempted to commit sin against you, that we will be reminded of not only of the body, but also of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though your sins are red as scarlet, they shall be white the snow Lord we thank you let's partake again you know in the accounts of the gospel when they shared that final meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. Now, we always give everyone a taste of what